1: Welcome to another episode of Showtime with Coop, insightful BS with my Laker legend and NBA friends. And in the house today, we got one of the best. And I'm so proud to uh, uh, be friends with this young man, Ralph Sampson. Uh, Ralph and I had a great opportunity to meet, uh, what was that, about two or three years ago, Ralph, for the All-Star. We, uh, I mean, we've known each other for a while, but to finally get to spend time with one another. And I didn't know that, uh, well, first of all, you're fucking tall. <laughs> Seven four, right? I'm taller than you. A- I'm taller than
2: you. Yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but as senior citizens, we're supposed to go down. You keep, hey man, you that you that old yet? I'm not that old yet. You're considered a senior citizen, Ralph. Oh, okay, been, all right. You've been on the NBA for 25 plus years, right? As a senior citizen, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, that's a senior citizen. But uh we have Ralph Sampson in the house. Let me read off some of his uh accolades. Four-time NBA All-Star. NBA All-Star Game MVP in 85, All-NBA Second Team in 85, NBA Rookie of the Year in 84, NBA All-Rookie Team 84, three-time College National Player of the Year, 1981-82-83, three-time Consensus First Team All-American, same year, three-time ACC Player of the Year, and three-times All-ACC. Been in- inducted into the Hall of Fame, uh, Played uh, represented us in gold medals. I mean, uh, in, the, in the United States in the Olympic Games. Uh, his career points is 7,339. I didn't 000, score too 7, much. 000. I didn't score too much. You you scored probably more than I did. Well, I was a defensive player, Ralph. So, okay,
2: okay, uh, got you. He's uh, and three points special.
1: blocks. <laughs> uh, Ralph, how you doing, man? Good to see you.
2: I'm good. Good to see you. Thanks for having me.
0: Hey, but you know, hold it, hold it.
2: You gotta get some, the most important thing in that in that uh, list of accolades is this thing right here. You know what that is?
1: What's that? You,
2: you gotta know what that is. Nineteen eighty-six.
1: Well, hold on, Hold it, hold it. We gonna get into that. We okay, guys. Yeah, I, I just want yeah. It's on my wall. You on my wall? Okay. <laughs> we gonna get into that. You I'm on my wall, so I you. know. <laughs> I'm trying to get us started. But See, we Ralph, usually Coop
0: gets name. to talk the smack first.
1: I, I know what Coop's going Coop so
2: to do, so I get talk to I, I, smack I already first.
1: know Coop already. We hung out a little bit, so I know what's going to happen. <laughs> okay. Ralph, you grew up in Harrisburg, Virginia. Yep. What was it like uh, growing up as a young person being so tall?
2: Coop, I, didn't, uh, I grew up in a small town population, probably 50,000 people. And, uh, you know, I didn't like basketball at all because I could only play on a six, uh, eight foot basket. We can only score 16 points a game in the in the World Leagues. And I like, damn, this is boring because I get 16 points in the first quarter and come get the ball and just toss it up over everybody's head. And then, so I played baseball. And I went to baseball and I threw sidearm pitch. I could, I could pitch pretty well. My uncle taught me how he played in, in some of the uh, leagues there. And I threw sidearm, and sidearm would curve and go around the, the, the right hand matters. But when I started to get taller, the ball wouldn't curve. So they put me on first base, and I would catch the ball with my offhand. My mama said, Hey, boy, hey, you're going to break your freaking hand if you keep catching the ball with your other hand. So they moved me to outfield. I'm like, you hey, know, balls coming out here. So I went back to basketball. And so I don't really know how tall I was at that age or that, but at six foot seven in the ninth grade, so i kept getting taller and taller every year my shoe size got getting bigger and bigger every year and everybody would go to school like you know how you go to school uh, how tall are you this year and you you know you're two feet tall and somebody whatever be. so they put me beside in high school the shortest girl in the school so she could see if she could measure me and my locker was here her locker was right beside me so every year i would go to high school and they was like are you seven foot tall this year so i got tired of people asking me that i made a shirt when I reached seven foot tall, I said, I am seven feet tall. Stop effing asking me. That was my high school shirt. And I didn't give it to the girl beside me. But um, growing up, being the tallest kid on the block was kind of crazy because everybody was wondering, how tall are you this year? or you reached seven foot tall? You know, you ain't getting any weight. You know, you thin. You I mean, all, you know, all the, all the things you got to go through growing up as a young kid. Ralph,
1: you, know Ralph, you know what? Let's jump back to uh, uh, baseball for a little bit. You had to be an imposing figure out there on the mound at 6'7", you said? I stopped, yeah. I
2: stopped uh, in probably middle school in baseball, yeah. So I was pitching in elementary school and middle school. Uh, Again, I had an uncle that pitched as well. He he could pitch pretty well, so I could do, you know, everything that he could do and taught me. But it it was fun to be a pitcher because the coach would say, yeah, you are a posing figure at, you know, 6'5", 6'4", whatever, as a pitcher and, and as a young kid, right?
1: Yeah. Well, you know, what, Ralph, I used to play baseball, too, because my uncle uh, was from New Hebron, Mississippi, and he had a, a little stint in the Negro League back then when he played. But uh, he was trying to turn me into a baseball player, and uh, his favorite baseball player was Willie Mays. Uh-huh. And uh, so I went and played my first game of uh, of uh, baseball um, and uh, Pop Warner, and a uh, guy hit me in the thigh. And Ralph, it hurt so bad that I quit playing baseball that day. That's how <laughs> that was you were done.
0: Well, and you know, Coop, what's interesting is a lot of the guys we talk with on this podcast that, I mean, you go back and think of all the people we've talked to. Everybody started with baseball. Yeah. Like, You know, even going in the, in the next generation of guys, Michael Jordan, we knew he was a big time baseball player before he played basketball. How much, I mean, obviously, baseball was so much more popular then than it is today. I think the NBA's popularity has exceeded Major League Baseball, but it wasn't back then like that. So I think that's why. How much do you think that's changed? And how much do you guys think your basketball career was influenced by starting off playing baseball and not playing basketball, not specializing specifically in basketball from the start?
2: Well, I mean, I think, I mean, even today, like baseball's not played in the cities anymore like we, when we grew up, right? So there's no Little League Baseball, Little Club League but It's all that. Like you got to play this huge club team and travel and play almost 100 games at a, at a young age, which is too much, right? So you play multiple sports. Everybody played three sports just to see which one you enjoyed and at the point time, Then you might have picked and choose which one you like the best. Right now, everything's so specialized with AAU, whatever, it makes it makes it kind of crazy for a young kid to grow up and specialize in one sport. But then baseball has gone to Puerto Rico, the other league, all those kids are over there because they only specialize in baseball. They become much better than we are in baseball. And you see the African-American young kids don't play baseball anymore. So that's where you see the diversity in the, in the Major League Baseball because we don't have any a lot of African-American kids play because there's no baseball in the inner cities anymore.
1: So, Ralph, as you got taller and you made the transition from baseball to basketball, uh, who – who were some of your role models uh, as a young African-American playing back high school basketball? The NBA season is back. Don't sit on the sidelines. Get in on the action at exclusivepartnerbetonline.ag. Sign up today for a free account at betonline.ag and use the promo code CLNS50 to get your 50% bonus. That's 50% extra cash at sign up with code CLNS50. Get insights into all the NBA action across the season, plus all sports professions, Collegiate as well as pop culture and even reality television wagering. Don't sit on the sideline anymore. Get in on the fun, in season action at Bet Online. Don't forget to use my special Michael Cooper promo code of CLNS50 to get a 50% sign up bonus with your first deposit. Bet Online today at betonline.ag, your online sports book expert. So, Ralph, as you got taller and you made the transition from baseball to basketball, uh, who who were some of your role models uh, as a young African-American playing high school basketball? I mean, growing up,
2: you know, and that was in the late 70s. So, you know, from from just an area standpoint, I had, had a bunch of cousins that were really good. I got one cousin that was probably the best basketball player in the state of Virginia. And all my cousins play. So imagine, Poop, I would go to the park. Now, the park's named after me now, but back then it was just a park everybody went to. I'd go to the park and play, and they wouldn't let me play. I was too skinny, too tall. My cousin said they're going to break you out, whatever, and it was very physical like when we played in the NBA. And so we would get. I would get to the last game, and, you know, lights get ready, go out 930, we played at 11, and we get to 6, and the lights go out, we got to go home. We'll get to 6, and i played play the last game, I wouldn't play so that made me a little mad. I would play and continue to play every year. And the next couple of years, they let me play, and I'd beat everybody else up from that standpoint. So growing up, it was like that. But, uh, you know, it's just in that area. But looking at people like my cousins, you know, obviously uh, in the back, looking at Kareem, looking at uh, Willis Reed, Walt Frazier, those guys, Julius Irving, all those guys in the, in the late 70s. Uh, you know, you, and, and when you grow up, you only got that one game a week, CBS special one game on Sunday tape delay, whatever. This all you can see growing up. So you can see a little bit. Then we was on the black and white TV or color TV. So you couldn't see it as much as obviously the fans do today. But I watched every game with my mom. She was a basketball player in high school. And imagine back then my mother played. You could play three on three. You couldn't go past half court. So you are an offensive player or a defensive player. And she said she taught me to Scott Hook from that standpoint or, or how to play because she played that way. She was really, really good in high school. So come back, my mother, then obviously the NBA – and then uh, all the guys that played i studied the game you know very well back in the day uh, from Wilt to uh bill russell to kareem to julius so i you know I, I i wanted to see the games when i was coming up on that sunday night
1: so as a young person ralph it seemed like your basketball iq was already high up there you attributed that to your some of your success
2: yeah definitely because i mean i mean you know when you start to find something that you really love uh, anyway, I again, I love baseball. I knew the, you know, the woolly mazes. and I mean, I knew the fast pitch, the, the split finger. I knew all that kind of stuff growing up, but I didn't. My body wasn't adjusting to baseball like it should have pitched. And I wanted to pitch. I didn't want to play anywhere else but pitch. And then basketball, you said, okay, great. But it was boring, like I said, because we only played on a, uh, a six-foot basket. And then growing up, I couldn't get the ball because I was so tall because the guards were taking. So I ended up learning how to dribble that way growing up. You know, I dribbled down the court. I them down the streets. I go in front front yard and up the driveway. Drove you know night till my mom made me go to bed. Then I go watch the game and study it. But I don't, and there was no internet. There was no you know it was only TV. And so you know you, you you couldn't tape a game. So you had to watch it literally every Sunday night and make sure you watched it because you could see it. It's CBS game of the week. So I watched it. And then when I started to grow a little bit more in high school, I had a great high school coach that taught me that, and he would bring me films of games. Know VHS. He and we just sit there and watch guys play, watch guys play, watch guys play. That's the way where I learned how to dribble and how to shoot and how to really be a student of the game.
1: Hey Ralph, uh, just you saying that, I want to ask you this: Did you have that big man mentality where you thought that you were a guard and you wanted to dribble to bring the ball to the floor?
2: I did because I couldn't get the damn ball, Coop. They know (laughs) little little ass guards wouldn't give me the ball. You know how it goes. You know you you can't get the ball from the guards, and then you're a big guy. You're always supposed to do is rebound. And then so I, I would do it in a game and in, in, in elementary and high school. My co- high school coach came and said, look, son, if you can do it in practice, you can do it in a game. <clears throat> but you can't do it in the game unless you're doing it in practice. So every day he would put me against the fastest guy on the court, and he still steal a ball from me every time until I got it. And then he said, well, they will put two people on him. So I would get the rebound, and I would try to take it to the court, and they'd steal it. But he taught me how to dribble at the early age because he knew I was frustrated not getting the basketball because I was double and triple team. I could never get the freaking ball. So I like, okay, great. Let me just get and shoot it every time I got it. But you had to go get the rebound.
0: What's it like for an 18-year-old to be on the cover of Sports Illustrated?
2: Uh, you know, back then, Sports Illustrated was was a shit, right? You had to be that on Sports big. Illustrated. So you, in the back of it, you got your little picture in the back. You see, oh, you made the back cover. But to be on the cover uh whatever time that was was, was actually i got somewhere here, somewhere it was pretty fun because everybody back then saw it and knew it but again sports illustrated like the espn if you could make sports illustrated you were good but also sports illustrated said if you made the cover you then you gonna have a bad game or something was going to negative happen to you because you thought you were the shit at that point in time so i kept hearing that hearing that hearing that so i never really saw the early sports illustrated cover till my mom hid him from it
1: so, Ralph, the foundation Smart. has been set in high school, okay? You have a successful high school. Why do you stay at home and not explore and go out? Why do you take Virginia?
2: Well, if I know what I know today, I'd have played with you. <laughs> I've played with you on the Lakers. So, I, I tell people all the time, I talk to all, all the guys, whatever. So, coming out of high school, I probably could not gotten the MBA, but I was uh, seven foot one in, out of high school, 199 pounds. So, you know, Kareem, Artis, Paris, Daryl, Moses. I mean, I couldn't play with those guys. I would have been beat up my first rookie year. Right? I wasn't ready for the rigors of the NBA. The next year, uh, I, I, we go to Virginia. I decided to go to Virginia because it was one, close to home, good coaches, ACC, and my parents could see me every night and good education,
1: right? And, and, Ralph, I like what you said. I was reading your bio. You said, you know what, your parents wanted you to get that degree. And that's yep. what a lot of young people don't understand. They kind of go for the money. Well, you know, sometimes that could be good or bad depending on your what's needed in your household. But I, I always say this, I opt for players. I think young people today need to go four years of college because there's so many things you learn uh, to help you once you get to the NBA.
2: Well, I, I agree with that, but I also think that colleges have to do a better job with these younger players to, yeah. to, to educate them on something that's meaningful to help them not only in the NBA but life because you go in there and you do the basketball even classes or whatever you're doing, right? Yep. It makes no sense when you come out that you have no clue what's going on with your finances or anything like that because, I mean, I, I mean my daughter went to Stanford and I had to teach her finances when she got out, but they got to teach them something more that's, that, that that can help them after they get out of the league or come to real life because they don't do that. And, you know, that degree is great. You You can network with it, but you got to teach them finance. You got to teach them something better than that.
1: Ralph, I, I, I hear you because my first year in New Mexico, I took that basket weaving class and I, <laughs> I, I have no use for it right now.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Wait, so so, they, so, so at, at Virginia, they made me, so we would go in and, um, uh, you, you know, the, 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 the language, you got to take Spanish, you got to take a foreign language, right? Whatever it be in your first couple of years, like, okay, well, you can take this class over here that you can test out of it or you can take this old class over here you can test under it and you get away with it either way. Yeah. I'm like, I don't want to test. I'm, I took Spanish and French in high school. So I went over and tested and I got out of the class. I said, I really want to take the class. No, you tested over it. So you don't have to take the class. I wish I would have, Sp- I wish I would have had Spanish right now.
1: Hey, so bro, okay. so you, 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 t- uh, you can speak French.
2: I used to go, yeah. pauly bouf je m'appelle Ralph, I, used to, I did that. I know you've been on that, too. I know you got a little bit of that. No, no,
1: I haven't, Ralph, but you know what? I love that because it's the language of love. I just – but the way you say it is kind of harsh. You're supposed to say it really nice. That's Bonjour, je m'appelle – got to be sexy.
0: Wait, so we got we to gotta reflect on the the what Ralph said about if he could do it over again, he'd, he'd, he'd leave early and get drafted by the, the Lakers. Okay, so there's – the story obviously – Maybe most known is in eighty two when you were thinking about leaving early if the Lakers could swing a deal with san diego to to get the rights to the the pick to draft you, but was there i'm trying to think back to seventy nine when you're coming out of high school was there another opportunity weren't there multiple opportunities for Lakers to try to bring you on early before well, the, the,
2: yeah there were so i mean the, the one year so um one year of being drafted it was between so First year it was me or Kevin McHale. We beat Kevin McHale in the in the 19, uh, 7, 9, 80 NIT. Kevin McHale ran the broad crew, and that's when uh, Red Arback came to my parents' house with a million dollars in the briefcase and said, "Here, you can play for the mighty Boston wait, wait, wait. Celtics." Who, who did what? Red Arback. Uh-huh. So, so I know you know. Said Maxwell. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't, so we will do it. something else, but said I did. I did him on our podcast as well. He said to me, he said. Big fella, cause um, a couple of things. One, uh, uh, Red came to Cedric and and, and Bird and said, "We gonna go to Virginia and try to lure Ralph Sampson to come to the Boston Celtics." And Max and Bird said, "We ain't going down there and do all that. We we don't." Do it. So so Fitzgerald and Brad came down with a million dollars in a briefcase, put it on my parents' table, and said, "You come play for the Mighty Boston Celtics here this year if you come out of school." So so Mikel wouldn't have gone to to, 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 wow. to Boston's. At that point in time, so I decided to stay in school.
1: Now I'm the next to year, take that money.
2: and I I, I, oh, really? I, probably should, I probably should have back then, but oh, I didn't man. think I was quite, I didn't think I was quite ready. I, you know, between my freshman and sophomore in Virginia, I gained 15 pounds of muscle, so I was ready at back then. Then we go to the final four next year. So next year is a coin flip. It's between the Lakers and Indiana. Now, now, Kobe, you know now you know all the political stuff of the game. You know the Lakers going to get that pick.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, that, 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 that's just the way it goes. How did I tell you? How did Patrick Ewing get to to New York? Come on, coin flip. Come on, that had to happen. That had to happen, you know, politically. So that next year, it was me or James Worthy. I I was number one player in the country. I was first pick. If I had came out, I'd have played with you. And but the twin tie was with Kareem and Magic and the Cook, which is probably what I should have done. Uh-huh. Then I look back, of course, uh, with, with, with the right thing. But I came back again. The next year, it was me and Isaiah. Isaiah went, and went to Detroit. Me and Isaiah was on the phone, not cell phone because we didn't have a home phone. And said, "Okay, great, you're coming out, Bigfoot. You're coming out with jockey? And I said, "I don't know, Isaiah. I don't know if I'm gonna do whatever." So I didn't come out there. And Isaiah goes to Detroit, and I ended up going to Houston in my in my in my wow. in my senior year. So all those guys, whatever, I tell them all the time, you should thank me because I came out sometime. Something would have changed when I did my when I did my Hall of Fame speech with. Uh, when uh, they were out there and Pat Riley said, Pat, I'm sorry to get to play for your magic. So I get to play for, I should have came out. Y'all wouldn't have had James Worthy and everybody laughed. but you know, that's the way history goes. That's the way it works. Yeah, but I would have loved wow. to play out there in California for sure. And then I was being traded. So you remember in Houston, we didn't have a guard. So they were trying to get Lord, Norm Nixon, Nixon to the, to Houston for a trade and the Lakers wanted me to, they want to trade and they wouldn't pull it. They wouldn't pull that trigger. Mm.
1: Ralph, you know what I, I, I when you think back on your career and let me ask you this of, of uh and i always believe believe that you're supposed to be where you're supposed to be basketball wise yeah, yeah. do you think being the college player of the year and all that came behind that do you think that put too much pressure on you entering into the nba to have do you feel you had the kind of career you 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 wanted?
2: Uh, I mean, you know, like you said, career is what you what you get. So I didn't feel any pressure. I mean, you know, you never I never shoot out for player of the year or any any World Hall of Fame. I just I just love to play, and so I didn't really worry about those. words. they came with how you play, and how you prepare, and it really comes from from my mom and dad. They told me, I said, look, you know, no matter what you do, they made me play piano as a young kid. I could. I mean, my, the teacher said his hands are too big; it's growing too fast." He hits too many keys. My mom said he still gotta play because I'm paying his money for him to play. So you got to play, you got to play. So I did that. And then everything was a challenge for me. My mom like making my bed anymore, Be the best I could be that day. So she always said, Your 80%'s gotta be better than somebody's hundred percent. So that stayed with me forever. So all the awards are great. They all all my awards are at my parents' house. Every single one of them at my parents' house to make a difference. So I just try to be the best I could that for them. There was no pressure whatsoever. I mean, to, you know, this play, this play. I mean, some people think I didn't like basketball, but I, I go to the gym at twelve o'clock at night just to play. You know, just to work out, even in college.
1: Ralph, we're at the point of my show. You listen to Showtime with Coop, uh, uh, insightful BS with uh, NBA legends. Uh, we're I have a lightning round. I'm going to ask you six names, and you just tell me something about it. It could be long or it could be short. Okay. Okay. All right, Wilt Chamberlain.
2: Uh, The strongest, biggest, most athletic big man ever. Bill Russell. The best ever, the GOAT.
1: Craig Littlepage.
2: Craig Littlepage, assistant coach, University of Virginia, extraordinary, um, good guy. Malcolm X. Malcolm X. We need him today.
1: Ooh, that's good ralph that's good ralph uh
2: martin luther king martin luther king i have a dream and the dream still the dream still exists
1: elijah juan
2: the best big man footwork ever mm. the dream shape
1: Ralph, that's pretty good you answer those you know i knew we had some kind of sync going on because you're tall i'm tall you're skinny i'm skinny uh, you have to catch me. You still have hair. I don't have any hair. But uh, so, 1983, Ralph. You get drafted by the Rockets. Did you? Uh, what were your expectations heading to that team?
2: Uh, well, it's cool, I'll tell your story. So I go in with Calvin Murphy, Elvin Hayes, Caldwell Jones.
1: Big e. What do you think of the Big E, man? I loved him. I
2: love the Big E. Yeah, I, I watched the Big E when I was younger the, with with the Bullets and the Wizards. And that back and move basket that, you know, he, he, he was a black hole because he'd never throw it back out. <laughs> but uh, I mean, Big E was a special – Big E taught me the game of life in, in, in the NBA, my, yeah. first, my rookie year. I mean, he taught me – it was his last year. And, I mean, he took me to, by his side. My house was around the corner from his, and he took me under, under his wing and said, here's what you do and here's what you don't do. Uh, in every city, he taught me how to do that. So I had really good vets with me. You know, my first year that taught me how how to do it. And then so that early on there, my expectations was really high because I wanted to go and play. I thought I was going to be, you know, because I thought we had some seasoned vets. So I respected those guys because I had watched Caldwell, John watched those guys in, at other teams and at that point and Caldwell and win the championship. All kinds of stuff I had watched. And then I get there and the way they treated those guys was not the way I would treat Elvin Hayes and Caldwell Jones as a franchise, right? They were just, you know, Long enough to put them out the pasture, and Calvin Murphy, and a good friend today, you know, he he, he made it through training camp. Then he retired, and Bill Fitch kind of made him retire. We needed Calvin Murphy, but but and they made him retire at that point in time. And the tricks that Calvin taught me, like I'm sure you know, Calvin would run behind a guy and steal the ball, and Elvin Hayes would say, "Watch you steal the ball! Watch!" So I say, "How are you gonna do that?" He'd be side by side running, and Calvin would stick his foot out, tripping. <laughs> and take the ball and go back on the court. That was just one of his tricks. So all those tricks to the trade, I learned from those guys. But they also taught me the game of life in the NBA about what to do and not to do, and I appreciate that, you know, every day that I see them.
1: Ralph, you know, getting to Houston, uh, there was a lot of undue pressure on you as well as that team because it was kind of like you guys got there. Uh, what was it like being part of that Twin Tower? Because that was – you guys were the first. You and Elijah Ron were the first very, very – all unique tandem in the NBA. I mean, it was very I mean, I remember when we had, when you guys first got together, that was the one thing everybody was talking about. Okay, Lakers reign is over with, Houston's about to run this. What was it like the feeling every game that you went out on the court with Elijah Wan?
2: Well, I mean, I, I I was there the first year and then came came the second year, and mm-hmm. then Rockets came in and said, What if we draft the King Elijah and we make you out the Twin Towers? So they had the poster, they had all the stuff up there. I said, Hey, that'd be good. I want to move it forward. Because I, I knew the first year getting beat up in and, and the center, I said, let me move I run and jump and whatever. But I knew I came to do the same thing. So I, I cherished that moment to get it. And then we had, you know, McCain, Rodney McCrae, jump. We had a cast of characters that I thought was pretty good. So I was so excited about the opportunity to play with him. And then we got together and we had this camaraderie about who's going to block what shot. We kind of, you know, how you get with your guy on the court, you shake your head, like, okay, let's do this. <clears throat> Bill Fish couldn't call plays horse. We could call our own plays. And Ron, and I remember that first year, that first year I, I, I said, New play just turn us loose. Don't let us go. Don't, Bill, Bill, Bill Fix don't. Ralph, Bill Fitz didn't call plays? He, well, he, we had plays. Yeah. But when we were rolling, we would look at each other and call our own freaking plays. <laughs> right.
0: Which is what you should do as a you coach. Know, you know, coach. We, coach. we knew,
2: we knew, we, we know you have, you have that uh, mouse in the house in the hole. We yep, would go yep. down there and go, and go to work, right? And people come like, I didn't call Play I like, dude, if we score, if we won, we good. So, at the end of that first year, I get, we get in the locker room, and I tell the newspaper, you know, how newspapers are back then, even today, I said, Just turn us loose. You know, we, we could win a championship if you just turn loose. And he, like, he maybe try to read that whole newspaper all the way in the locker room with the players. I'm like, Man, I'm not reading that garbage, you know, whatever. Just turn us loose. But uh, we had a good team, and we could, if they would have kept us together, we were missing a guard, we were missing a guard at that point in time. So, we had a couple guards come in. We had some guys that had some personal problems back then as well. So, I mean, we played you guys with Robert Reed as a point guard. Point forward.
1: Yeah, had to. Well, you know what, uh, uh, Ralph? 83 comes, 84 comes. We lose to the Celtics. 85 comes. We win our championship. And we win our championship, and we we finally beat the Celtics. And we come into that season, and as as we kind of made our game plan, we the Lakers, on what we got to do to get out the West, Houston was the team to beat. We had won the championship, so we were never fearful of you guys. But we finally, and the old saying goes, be careful what you ask for, we finally get you guys, and we're playing you guys. And you know what, Ralph? We're going to go to your little net you got behind you. Oh, there's the picture. There you are. What's going on? You're going to you? You gonna bring that out. Okay, oh, Ralph, okay great. Listen, before Who's you put that? that on, there are two people in my family my kids hate. One is Dr. J for dunking on me. The other one is you for this play right here. <laughs> because you threw that fucking ball over your head, and you weren't looking at what you were doing, you just threw it over your head because you knew you had to get it up. But, I mean, it was a heck of a shot. And I knew that you got – Ralph, I knew you guys were going to beat us. I just didn't know how. But it goes in like that, and – Ralph, I actually fainted. I really did. I, I could no. not believe we had lost that game to you guys. What cool, I
2: So this, this net behind me is a net actually, and I got it from your one of your ball, trainer ball guys and uh, the little short uh, Hispanic guy. He gave me that net after the game.
1: Well, I'm gonna deal with him later on. He deal
2: with him later on, and then it, then we put Houston put it on the plaque, which you see back here under, under Larry Bird, because so that was in '86, and that was that that was the thing that said 1986 uh, Western Conference Champion. So. So I tell Magic when I when I was talking to him about this when we was at some event many years ago. We had come out of grueling series against Denver and alexine and that crew seven games. King fouled out, I fouled out, we had our guys take it. We won the seven game. We come to you guys, if you recall, like in the next twenty-four to forty hours, we come to you guys and y'all blow it out. The first game. I mean, we just got literally oblivious. So we played game two out there, and we get in the life room and say, okay, look, guys. We were tired. We whatever. Let's let's regroup and play the next game. So we win the next three straight, uh, the next four straight. You guys won one it was five, four to one. So I said, okay, great. If that shot wouldn't have gone in, because you remember we we had a fight over the bench with Akeem and Luke and that crew, whatever. So then we had to take over. So everybody was scoring, and then we go from that standpoint. So it's not the shot that said Rodney McCray said it was his pass. And then, you know, I started out high instead of on the box. So Kareem didn't front me. He was behind me. And I had practiced that shot, at least turn around and shoot it. You know, he messed around doing whatever. You just throw it up to the basket. I knew where I was at, but I didn't know I would get that bounce. The ball came in. I knew I had a split second. I just turned and shot it. You see, Kareem, he didn't put his hands up or anything at that point in time. But I tell Matt, look, look, look her. We would we, we you'd have got beaten anyway. See, I go down right here in the pass, and cream's behind me. He got his hands down in his pocket, so anything it, it, it could happen at that point in time, right? But we were going back to Houston anyway, so it'd been three to two. Maybe chance to win. What I said earlier, said, "Look, we're gonna beat you anyway in Houston if you come back to Houston. We just made sure you didn't have to travel back to LA getting beat." But then he he said to you as well, I'm sure, well, you made us mad because the next year we won two more straight in a row. So I'm like, okay, great. We'll we'll, we'll take that. We didn't win it, but you won next year, the next two. So we'll give you that.
1: Well, Ralph Sampson, we're having here. He's talking a little shit talk to me, and I'm not feeling it, but I'm loving it anyway. (laughs) The one thing that I'm really happy about is that you did practice that shot. So now I can go. Uh, to my grave, knowing that that was a shot that Ralph had worked on. It wasn't something that he just threw. I mean, you know, every every kid works on the game winner. I mean, you worked
2: on it, every kid works on the game winner.
1: Ralph, off the subject real quick. um, You ever heard of Blue Chew? Blue Chew is the better, cheaper choice. And we want to thank them because they're a sponsor of my podcast. Blue Chew is better than Viagra and Cialis. You, you, you know take what? it? Do you take citizen, it? And we all still want to be big and strong in the bedroom. Bluetooth can help you be that true man that you want to be. Well, you're going to have to send me some. We're going to get you some, Ralph. Okay, gotta, good, good. All
2: right. I'm, I'm still good in the bedroom, but, I, you know, if you take it, you know, I, I trust you. you.
0: Me too. <laughs> 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 completely, Ralph.
1: You can help make this podcast possible, so please be sure to use our promo code SHOWTIME at bluechew.com, that's blue b l u e chew.com. Promo code showtime to try it for free. And we're gonna get you a sample, Ralph, because we're all right, like, give me a couple samples yeah. that we're that manly man. But uh, let's continue on with the 86. So you guys beat us and you're ready for the Celtics. What happened?
2: Uh, yeah, so we you know we come off the high, we go to Houston, we get to celebrate a little bit, just another. I don't think we had enough time to prep because the Celtics had already won their series before we, we got to, we got to them and they were real prepared. So we get there, we, we got to go to Boston garden, as you know, the lovely Boston garden and, you know, the, the, and, and you, you experienced the Boston garden more than I have at that time in June. It's hot as hell in the locker room. You go up the back of the uh, building in the, in the, in the, in the elevator. And there's roaches and rats and all that kind of shit in the elevator. You get to the locker room and the floor's really bad. Uh, you know, Larry Bird's there two hours before, and you try, and robbery's trying to beat him to the gym because we knew that's what to make him mad, or whatever. But we get there, we lose the first game, and we, I mean, we lose the first two games. And uh, there's 2-0, and we got to recover. We go back to Houston, we win a game, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And then, you know, it just kind of evolved over that whole period of time. But they were well prepared and ready to play as, as, they, as they should be. But the game that I played in, I mean, they're winning – I get in a fight with Danny Ainge and, and Jerry Seasting and the crew uh, in Houston because I said, you know, with three games to two, uh, you know, uh, no, three games to one, and I said, well, you know what? I'm so proud. You ain't going to win on my home court. You might win the series, but you damn sure ain't going to win in Houston. You know, you damn – so we get there, and I had like 15 points and six seven rebounds in the first quarter. It you know, was one of them games you just want to play. You're rolling. you hyped up. You're ready to play by the second quarter, things happened, and then, as you know, it, it being tall and you're sitting in picks picking down for the guy to come out, Danny Ains and Jerry Season would hit me in the nuts. This one by just hit me. Okay, what, what the hell did they call yeah,
1: so they Yeah, little dirty the,
2: guys. Yeah, little dirty guys. Okay, great. So something at that end happened, breaks out, and then they do it again, and on the other end of the court, I just couldn't take it anymore, so we went to fighting. And uh, so, uh, lovely Dennis Johnson guy, uh, rest, his, rest his soul. Then Danny, so it just broke out, it came, and just broke out. I get thrown out. I walk in the locker and say, that's a freaking bullshit call. The team then picked up the pace. We win the game. We go back to Boston. And so when I did Cedric Maxwell's podcast, he said, I want to apologize to you because, you know, come to Boston in this whole world we live in now, they had a, 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 a mannequin or whatever, stuffed human being or whatever it was in the rafters of the Boston Celtics with my number on it with a noose hanging from the end of the rafter with two police around it. And so me and Max laughed at it as well. I said, okay, great. But, you know, I got death threats, you know, from from that game. Uh, and I had to end up bringing two security guards with me in the hotel uh, that were with me at that game. So, and, and they was on the same room I was at. And then Bill Fish kind of knew what was going on. So they was going to win the game. So he called the timeout. And he takes it where, you know, how they rush the court. He called the timeout and he shifts all the team to the locker room. And we, and then we put the, you know, the, the, the last starting, uh, last guys on the team, you know, out there to play the last, you know, two minutes or so. And then they rush it forward, but we are in the locker room. So that was kind of the memories of that game, but they, they wanted all right. But uh, I would love to go do that again and, and be more much more prepared for it. Cause I think we didn't have enough time to prepare. Yeah.
1: Ralph, any regrets in your career?
2: You know, you always have regrets, but I mean, I, I wish I could have played longer. Um, you know, I, I look back, I don't regret my career. I, I, I love it. I love the, the way we played. You know, if I look back now with the layup, like I said, I probably would have came out my second year. Uh, I still would have gotten my degree, but I don't regret that either. Um, and then, you know, I, you know, in shape, you know, being in shape, I was always in shape, but having injuries can cause that as well. And then you got things in life that you regret and that you also cherish as well. So you know, when I got hurt, whatever you know, we had you know bad agents, bad people around you. Sometimes you you play, you play, and the distractions you may have uh, back then cause you maybe not to work as hard sometimes. So some days, because in high school and college, you worked every day. Yeah, and then and then when you get in real life, you got to pay bills, you got to do these things, so you got other distractions. You got to do endorsement, you got to do that instead of instead of really focusing. I know how guys do it today with all the stuff they have, right? I mean, LeBron James is phenomenal. Right, body wise. So he takes something, but he's people around him to make it happen. But some of these guys, even today, have too many distractions in life with social media that they don't focus on their crafts like we did. Okay. And and so, no regrets at all, but just I uh, wish I could play longer.
1: Ralph, if you were coming out of school today, coming into the 500 yeah. million, 500 Max, million. Come on, <laughs> come on, <Seth. laughs> what kind of money would you on, command? <laughs> 500 million. That's what they tell me. So,
2: I mean, I don't, you know, I don't, I, I see people like, uh, John is getting uh, two hundred some million, and uh, all these guys playing. I mean, come on, coach. I mean, back then you had to average twenty and ten to get a million.
1: Yeah, like that. Ralph, how do you what do you feel about the state of the NBA today? Today's players. I
2: mean, I, I, I mean, I love the I love the game at all. So I love the NBA. I love the players. I love the way they play. Uh, you know, there's a lot of bad teams out there. Obviously, uh, it's still it's still the same. You got the Lakers, you got the Boston. You got you got to have that rivalry. Now it'll be Brooklyn. So you got some things on on that. It'll be great, and it, it'll be fine. But it's just it's just the nature of the beast of, of how it goes. But it, it's a good deal. I, I love the NBA,
1: Ralph. Uh, I know that you're really really involved in the community and stuff like that. You want to tell us about anything you got going on? You want to hype anything up?
2: Yeah, you know, so I mean, I do do things like we have our we have our podcast as well called Center Court. We we do stuff with that that's fun in the community. We have the Sampson Family Foundation that's focused on cancer research at University of Virginia and my in my hometown Rockham Memorial for my dad. We have a, a scholarship fund at, at Virginia State with my mom, and we're just doing business
1: deals and hanging out having fun. There you have it, listeners Ralph Sampson, the one and only. I like to say that when I had hair, Ralph and I looked alike. Ralph, a very handsome man, and uh, we had something, a lot in common that I'm seeing out now. Ralph. Well, we we had, had
2: hair, the mustache, hair. and all that kind of stuff is gone. My, you know, my hair is still there, but it's... Uh, yeah, I, 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 got a, it I got a sister that's everything. a beautician, so she, she keeps it nice and clean for me.
1: <laughs> Ralph, thank you so much, man, for coming on, sharing a few, a uh, little bit of time out of your busy schedule. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I'd be more than happy. Just give me a call or text, man. I'd love to. Join.
2: Absolutely, man. We'll do that. We'll get on soon. But if they got do for you guys, let me know. You know that.
1: Okay. Thank you, big guy. I got it. Ralph, appreciate it. Okay.